Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Well, I wasn't planning on being here, but the Holy Ghost had a different plan. And uh, I say that, I kind of had a, a little nudge about this service. So, amen. God bless you in the name of the Lord. Man, what a great crowd here today. And uh, I don't think building is just a luxury for you. I think it's a necessity. And uh, thank the Lord for what he's going to do. Amen. And uh, I do want to say before I start here today what a real honor it is to be here. And uh, your pastor is probably one of my... I'll just put it to you like this, and I know people are watching this, and hopefully some of my other friends won't be upset, but uh, I just don't watch a whole lot of other services and other preachers, but I make it a point to, uh, it's usually after it's been archived, uh, because when you're having church here uh, Sunday mornings, I'm usually still asleep. Amen, that three-hour time change from here to California, but I always make it a point through my week to go back and uh, watch your service because of the, well, first of all, the gift that God has given your pastor. And it is truly a gift that God has given him. Amen. He's given him a gift so he can be a gift. And a tremendous insight and... Uh, uh, I just always inspired and love it and join with others around the world the impact that your pastor's having not only here locally but globally, amen. We thank the Lord for that and I sincerely mean this. I've preached in a lot of different places but it's an honor to be here today and I want you to know that, amen. And uh, <clears throat> my... Uh, I believe I have an assignment here today. Now, they asked if I had any notes or scriptures, and I showed them my notes, and you need to understand my notes, you would need interpretation of notes. <laughs> so hopefully I can have interpretation of notes by tongues here today. <laughs> and uh, kind of explain to you, but uh, I always approach every service trying to find the mind of God, the will of God, not just preach something because I think it's just good preaching fodder. And so I come here today, I believe by divine assignment, and uh, I'll share with you some of these things and hopefully it'll make sense and then God will give a witness of the spirit and his glory will fill this house. Amen. So, all right, let's, let's read a verse of scripture because with Pentecostals, if you don't read a verse of scripture when you start, they don't think you're preaching. <laughs> I mean, you can give them 99 verses while you're preaching, but you got to read one before you preach. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, if you'd stand for the reading of the word, I know you just sit down. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6. And... Uh, <clears throat> course we're going to go to the Lord's Prayer and uh, I want to read verse 13 Matthew 6 and 13 and lead us not into temptation 
<laughs> I heard a guy say one time, he doesn't have to leave me, I can find it myself. <laughs> but, but deliver us from evil. Boy, if there's ever a time to pray that prayer, it would be now. And I do thank God for his ability to keep us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. kingdom. Power. Everybody say power. power. Glory. Everybody say glory. glory. Most of the time. Sometimes. Every other day. When the economy's good. <laughs> Forever. There's only one kingdom that is forever. Now, Daniel, okay, Lord, help us today. Please help me today, God. I need your help. And uh, confirm your word. Let me minister through your wisdom and your grace and your strength today. Thank you for this opportunity. I ask you to help us today, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Uh, you could be seated. Huh? We talk a lot about, um, which I believe would be the, not the fullness of the Gentiles, but the time of the Gentiles, and what it would mean dealing with Gentile nations. And of course, I think that to understand that, you would have to go back to Nebuchadnezzar's image stream in his image. Daniel lets us to know that that statue represented five kingdoms. It represented five kingdoms that would have preeminence and that it would rule. That in those kingdoms you would have what would be considered a king of kings. They would rule for a while and we see those things and we understand the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, uh, Greece, Rome. And then you come to the feet of that particular image and you have this, what you would call a ten-toed kingdom. You have the last kingdom, which is the kingdom of the Antichrist. It's a mixture of iron, which is the old Roman Empire mixed with clay, which is brittle, which is newer nations. They're going to join together, and uh, Daniel's seen this, and this is usually as far as a lot of us go, is pointing out the five kingdoms that are represented in Daniel's interpretation. But a few months ago, the Lord let me to know that there's a sixth kingdom that's mentioned here. All five of those kingdoms had a particular time slot. They ruled the world in a particular time. But Daniel sees, out in Peripheo, he sees this stone, this rock that was cut out but not with hands. What he's seeing is, is I believe, the sixth kingdom. I think that he's seeing the kingdom of Christ. I think he's seeing personally the millennial reign. And he sees this stone as it hurtles toward that statue. It hits it in its feet. 
Now, if you want to see that in the scripture, you go to Revelation chapter 19, where the Antichrist is ruling and reigning, and then all of a sudden, John said, I seen one coming on a white horse. He had a vester dipped in blood, and he had a name written. I used to preach all the time that that vester dipped in blood represented some other things, but then I found out that there was a particular garment that a conquering king would wear. On that garment was the blood of every other slain foe. And so what it's saying to the world is, is that I have conquered every world empire and I have won. And this government is not going to be any different. I think if we're not careful, we can get so mesmerized by the power of the Antichrist. I mean, growing up in the church, man, if you want to scare the devil out of everybody, start talking about the Antichrist. And we see the power of it. And Daniel gives this description of it. But this shows you the power of the sixth kingdom. Now, when God talked about his kingdom, he talked about like leaven, which means it may start kind of small. But watch it because it's going to increase. And when Daniel sees that hit, it ceases being just a little stone or rock. And the Bible says it become a great nation, a great mountain. And so we watch the fact is, as all these other kingdoms have come and gone, but God's kingdom, God's kingdom, which is in the conclusion of what you call the Lord's prayer, states... Your kingdom is forever. That's why the church needs to wake up and recognize, yes, the Antichrist has a lot of power, but that spirit's been working since the beginning of the church. But the church needs to wake up and see the power that we have. It's not only for thine is the kingdom, but it talks about the power. And so we need to understand, yes, the Antichrist will do certain things. But the thing the Antichrist fears the most is you sitting here in these pews. Because greater is he that's within you. We're going to go somewhere. Greater is he. Paul told the church at Thessalonica, he talked about the two he's. He that doth let talks about him and he the Antichrist. But yet John says, greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. You have more power in you through the baptism of the Holy Ghost than the spirit of the Antichrist has. So it's not time for us to fear the end time or to fear, fear the world situation. But it's time for the kingdom and the church to arise and understand again. Greater is he that's within me than he. I'm waiting on some of you to catch up right now. Than he that is in the world. I'm glad I'm in the church today. And I'm glad not just in the church, but I'm glad it's in me. Praise God. Amen. Jesus was very clear. I give you power over some of the power of the enemy, most of the power of the enemy. Nope, all the power of the enemy. Amen. 
Now he talks about thine is the kingdom and the power, but then he starts talking about and includes in it glory. So when he talks about the kingdom, he includes in the kingdom, he includes the power of the kingdom and the glory of the kingdom. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is taken in the temptation. And uh, I was talking to somebody, this may have been since I've been here. It all starts kind of running together. And they made a statement that I have believed a long time. That I don't know that it was such a uh, literal high place that he took him and showed him the kingdoms of this world and their glory. I personally kind of think it was in his mind that he allowed him to see it. And uh, he, he shows him these things. He shows him the kingdom and their glory. Now, we sang a while ago, and there's a lot of songs. Where's our great praise team leader? And you do a great job, amen. What a great job. Amen. Not just talent, but it's anointed talent. And I like that, amen. And, and my, my son loves you. I want you to know, I, he, John Mark's always saying, Dad, I'm telling you, man, that guy's just a good guy. And so I think you all know that, amen. So anyhow. All right, I'll get back from that. You got me all distracted, amen. But we sing a lot about glory. I spent several months looking into that statement, glory. I think, what is the word for it? Doxa? And we talk about God's glory. And, uh, but, uh, okay, let, let, let me put it to you like this. God's glory according to the scripture, is weighty. It's substance. You feel his presence, but you see his glory. Now, that's why a lot of churches can say, man, we felt the presence of God. And I'm glad we felt the presence of God. But see, we have to decide. And I'm going to make this statement here, then I'll explain it. We have to decide if we're going to be just a word church or a glory church. Because in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Now I know where I'm at. Amen. And uh, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. Now to the, uh, to the uh, Greeks and the Gnostics and all. They taught that everything basically was Logos. Uh, meaning that um, a deity somewhere is having this thought. And that us sitting in this building today, you are not really real. You're just a thought in some God's brain or his thinking. And that's why John, when he's dealing with Gnosticism in his epistle, says, Look, he that, this is he that came by water and blood. In other words, you, you want to just say that he's logos or thought, that he's not physical. Well, the first problem with that is if you remove him being physical, you take away the power of the atonement. The second thing is if you're nothing more but just logos, then you're not responsible for your sins. And you're not responsible for your actions because a God just thought this. Kind of like, remember the old statement, the devil made me do it? Well, that would kind of be a little bit along these lines. And so the, the, the fact is, is that uh, verse 14 says, and the word was 
the Logos was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I don't want to confuse you here and just make a play on words, but this is basically what the Gnostics and the Greeks would, would teach is the thinker had a thought and everybody's just a thought. But John says, no, 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 you're missing a key component. The thinker did have a thought. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't separate the thinker from his thought. Well, some of you are looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? But John says, let's take it a little further. Yes, the thinker did have a thought, and that thinker and thought become a thing. And the Word was made flesh. And we beheld his. So when it talks about glory, it's something that you can behold. Now, this is what I teach and preach, and you can straighten all this out when I leave. <laughs> but glory is when God takes the invisible. And when he makes it visible, whatever is visible is his glory. Mm. It's his glory. <clears throat> it's his glory. Uh, <laughs> man, I, I, I don't want to get sidetracked yet. Amen. Uh, the guy that picked me up and all, he, he, he gave me one of your uh, tokens. And, and I put it in my pocket. And uh, he said, I just feel to give this to you. And, and today on the way, he said, you know, I think I know now why, you know, why you're here and why I gave it to you. And I hope he didn't betray some deep confidence or whatever gave away the kingdom I don't know. amen but I, I think on there it's about imagination is that correct so Jesus Christ is the express image of the invisible so the fact is is that when you view Jesus Christ the best way I can tell you is is that this is coming from the logos or the imagination of God it's his thought that's where all this starts with it starts with a thought. It starts with imaging, imagination. It's in your mind. This is where creative power comes from. You see it. You see it. But what brings it to glory is when it becomes a reality. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, these speakers up here. That's glory, whether you understand it or not. That's the glory of the thinker. He had a thought, but then he brought it to a reality. And now there's an object up here that you see, and that object is glory. So somewhere years ago, somebody's sitting around that's a lot smarter than I am and got to trying to figure out amplification and sound and all this stuff and all. And he started seeing something. He started having this creative power, imagining that this could happen. And then he started bringing it by creating, and then he starts putting stuff together. And now we have glory. That's the same way that God is. That's the same way that God works in your mind and in your spirit. That's how God works in a church. So when he tells you to imagine, what he's saying is, is let me give you the thought. Let me give you my word. Woo. I don't think it's just the thought of your pastor. Uh, now, I, I'm going to be really honest with you, okay? Um, uh, I, uh, man... When it comes to building buildings and stuff, I got some weird feelings about it. And, of course, I live in San Francisco, and everything there is weird. Amen. And, and 
So I, 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 I kind of am a little guarded because I've seen, now let me, let me be careful what I'm about to say, but I've seen some of our churches get into building competitions. And they're just building because somebody else built. And so I had to weigh through my spirit and know, no, 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 that's not what this is about. This is a God thing that I'm about to do. He didn't just come up with it out of his own imagination. I put this in his mind. I put this in his spirit. But God says, I don't want it just to be Logos. I want it to become glory, meaning I want it to become a reality. I want it to become something that's tangible. And the word, the Logos, the thought become a thing or become a reality. Yeah, you need to imagine. That's where it starts. But then somebody's got to start putting it all together. Some of you are looking at me like I fell out of a tree. Yeah, I did, but didn't do that much damage. Amen. I'll prove it to you one more way, and then I'll get to where I need. Uh, Paul, writing to the Romans, uh, he said, if you really want to see God's glory, he said, look at creation. The invisible things that God has made visible, he said, reveals his glory. So when you walk out of here today, and thank God for the sun that's in the sky. I've been here two days, and I thought you didn't have sunny days. Amen. (laughs) And so the sun up there, the trees, and all that stuff and all, when you see that, when you see that, mm, you are seeing the glory of God. Creation reveals. And then Paul says, not only does creation but the Godhead. So when you see Jesus Christ, you are seeing the glory of God, the invisible, the word that was invisible, becoming flesh. Now, let me, let me help you here just a little bit. So here's how God reveals his glory in you. Is that when you read the word or hear the word and you flesh it out, whatever that fleshing out is, That's God showing the world his glory. Mm. And we are to go from glory to glory. It's always a continual climb. What does that mean? That means that God has given me more invisible word. And I'm going to flesh it out. I'm going to obey it. And when I obey it, I'm revealing the world more glory. I think I will take my time here just one second. Paul took it even further than that. I understand it's 2022, but understand where I live and what we fight. But Paul took it all the way from creation, the trees and all that. He took it from that to the Godhead. And then guess where he took it? He took it into gender distinction. What he's saying is when God created, he created to reveal his glory. Man is created as the glory of God. Sorry, ladies. She's the glory of the man. And so God says, I don't want you becoming the creator. I don't want you imaging something in your own thinking, which is what Paul was telling them. Your foolish hearts, your minds have become darkened. You think now that you are the creator and you have the ability to rearrange the whole image and the whole glory. And when you change the glory, Paul says, the next thing you got to do is you got to change the truth. Mm. Boy, it got tied in here for some reason. Amen. Change the glory, you got to change the truth because the truth shows you when it's manifested his glory. Mm. I, I don't know if I should stop and get on to the other stuff and all that stuff. 
Whatever God. Normally, I don't touch this kind of stuff, but I will. I, I, I just, because I know what you believe. Ladies, that hair you got on your head was given to you, and it's called glory. Somebody asked me one time, said, do you think cutting a woman cutting her hair is going to send her to hell to be lost? I said, nope, don't believe that. And they, they were so shocked. You don't believe that? I said, no, I don't believe that. I mean, if that's the case, she has to go in for surgery, and they, I mean, you've sent her to hell. I said, I don't think her cutting her hair would send her to hell, but I think her not being submissive. Because you can't see Submission. And so God says, I'm going to show you. Now, I know you could have a lady that's got hair dragging the dirt and not be submissive. I understand. I get all of that. But when God gave you that glory and you don't interrupt it, what you're saying to the world is, I'm doing this because the word of God told me to do this. And when I, I, I hope this is okay. And when I do this. I'm revealing to the world the glory of God. Okay, we got over that bump and I didn't see that one coming, amen. Now, so this glory deal is important. Now, 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 now. Uh, I'm going to kind of weird out on you here a second. Uh, this glory stuff. See, what I meant a while ago is you can be a church that hears the word, but never sees the glory. Let me give you an example. You can preach about healing, but never see them. You can preach about miracles, but never witness them, which I see a lot of this in our churches. They get all inspired about the Logos, but God says, I never intended for the Logos to stay invisible. I intended for it to reveal my glory. So when a church is preaching the word of God and you get to those verses and start talking about he's your, he's your provider, he's your healer, he's your deliverer, all this stuff. When you get there, you're talking about we don't want just the word. We, we want to see it. I don't want to just get up here and talk about miracles. A lot of denominations and religions talk about stuff, but I want to see the reality of it. I don't want to just talk about people getting out of wheelchairs. I'd like to see the glory of, not the glory of man, but the glory of God. Hallelujah. Now, now, okay, let's, 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 let's get over here where we need to go. Okay, so, man, the book of Ezekiel. Oh, okay. Sometimes I think I get paid by the hour and I kind of <laughs> try to get into overtime, amen. Time and a half, amen. <laughs> Ezekiel, everybody say Ezekiel. Now, I, I'm just going to tell you, I used to read the book of Ezekiel and, and, and I would think, man, Ezekiel had to be smoking something. <laughs> Some of the stuff he talks about and describes. Wow. Cherubims, 
with four faces. Now, God, I can understand two face, but not <laughs> four. He sees all this stuff. I mean, it's some kind of crazy, weird, mystical stuff, you think. But the book of Ezekiel is really about God's glory. It's about God's departing glory and the return of God's glory. Mm. So you see it now, what I see in it is you got where the, it starts, it lifts off the Ark of the Covenant out of the Holy of Holies. It comes out to the door of the temple, and I'll explain this here in just a second. Then it goes from that to the east gate, and then ultimately yeah, there's three or four places. Then it comes out to uh, the Mount of Olivet, and Ezekiel sees it lift from the Mount of Olivet. What he's seeing is, is he's seeing the last few hours of Christ's earthly ministry. Now, I know some people would say, in other words, Christ visited these places. And some would say, well, he didn't visit the Holy of Holies. Um, yeah, I think something visited the Holy of Holies because the veil is rent. So what Ezekiel was seeing is this departing glory. And then he sees it ascend. Anybody know where Christ ascended from? What mountain he ascended from? The Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olivet. Does anybody know? Ezekiel said, I see this tabernacle coming back. I see God's glory returning. He says, going to come back to the Mount of Olivet. And so Jesus predicted, and the two men said, this same Jesus whom you see, Liam, he's going to come again. And the Bible says that when he returns, he'll return and his feet will touch the Mount of Olivet and it will cleave in two. So you're watching the departing glory of God and then you're watching the return of God's glory, especially to Israel. That's what I believe. Now, Ezekiel, he sees this, he sees this deal and I mean, he's got these wheels in the middle of a wheel. What in the world? And he sees the glory. Well, let me explain it. He sees these wheels in the middle of a wheel. And above them are these four cherubims with four faces. And he says that this, this thing didn't turn. Meaning that. Okay, let me go to my lapel mic. Amen. <laughs> The original lapel mic came in. So you would have one, let's say you'd have one wheel facing this way, this way. The other wheel in it would be facing this way. So you didn't have to turn it. You didn't have a steering wheel. If it wanted to go this direction, it could go this direction. If it wanted to go this direction, it could go it, whatever way it wanted to go. You didn't have to turn it. It could just go in that direction. Then he talked about angels that preceded that I call it, uh, uh, there's a word, uh, 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 a leader, or lip, and it's about where royalty's placed on it, and it, they, they carry it. They carry royalty on it, and people have a burden to carry. That's kind of what you're seeing that Ezekiel's seeing. He's seeing this transit, this cart, <laughs> that the glory of God is going to move off the mercy seat Onto it. And then he's going to watch that thing carry God's glory 
back into the heavens. I know, I know, I know. He's seeing this glory parting here. It's going to come again. Now, uh, this glory deal is very important. God's kind of finicky about his glory. These cherubims protect. Yeah, I mean, so here's the deal. You see this all through the scripture. You see it back, and we're, we're going to go back to this in a second. You see it back with Moses and 70 elders. You see it with Jacob and Jacob's ladder. You see it with uh, uh, Isaiah in the sixth chapter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, his throne, high and lifted up, and his train. When you talk, take the word train, it's also dealing with God's glory. So God's glory filled the temple. And on, and, and on the day of atonement, one of the witnesses of it was, it's when God's glory would fill the temple. So we're talking about God's glory. Mm. It's consistent all the way through the scripture. So what we want is, is we want to find out how do we get God's glory? How do we get it? Now, all right, I'm going to go up here and pray for interpretation of notes right now. Now, here, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, we're trying to figure out the right way to say it. When God created, the first two things God created is he created the heaven and the earth. God's intent was always for heaven and earth to be in alignment, to agree. This is expressed in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be Not on in in earth as it is in heaven. Meaning Jesus was teaching the only way you will really ever see the kingdom is when you get heaven and earth in proper alignment. Now think about it. This is the only way you'll ever see the kingdom. When you get this in proper alignment. And when you get this in proper alignment, you're about to see the kingdom. Now, Bishop, I teach a little something different. I teach that the kingdom of heaven is exactly that. deals with heaven. The kingdom of God deals with heaven and earth. Mm. And the message of the 70 and the message of the 12 was pretty clear. You go tell them to repent for the kingdom is nigh. Now, if they want to see the kingdom, they've got to repent. Now, to repent doesn't mean... Please forgive me, God, I messed up. To truly repent means you've gone to the altar and you want this to die. This has got to die. And I'm going to leave this old man on the altar. It's got to die. So what he's saying to them is, is when this happens, now watch what he does. He says, when, is this boring? Okay. What? I don't want to bore you, man. I mean, if I start boring you, let me know. We'll go eat. I promise you that. that <laughs> you guys got stuff that's important to you. I got stuff that's important to me, too. That's <laughs> now I forgot where I was at. Amen. So you got this deal trying to bring you into alignment so that God's kingdom can be made manifest. So repentance, 
the altar puts things in proper alignment. Why does the altar put things in proper alignment? Because the two biggest battles that you have in your life is your will versus the will of God. Now, a lot of people say that, you know, we're just supposed to preach the gospel. It's not what Jesus said. He said, preach the gospel and the kingdom. And when you get over to Acts chapter 8, Philip preached the things pertaining to the kingdom and Christ. Now, we understand that when you preach the kingdom, the gospel is included in it. That's why Romans chapter 10, that's what this is really all about. The Roman road, it's really all about the kingdom. Boy, I'm getting too sidetracked here right now. It's about the kingdom because Paul goes all the way back to to Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7 when he talks about um, that Israel's in devastation. And then he says, I see a messenger coming. He's coming swiftly. His feet are beautiful, and he's got a message he's going to bring. He's going to bring good, he's going to bring peace, and he's going to bring salvation. He was really seeing Christ. But then he concludes it with this. His message is, our God reigns. So the message of the kingdom is that simple fact, our God reigns. Now, if you want God to reign in your life, and if you are going to confess that he is Lord in your life, then that means you got to die. Your will has got to die. Jesus said the gospel is preached and men press into it. Now, I've I've evangelized for years. I think that's probably my true calling. Amen. I'm a horrible pastor. I'm better at what I'm doing right now. Amen. And I've always said this. I said, when the gospel is preached, it's the clash of kingdoms. Somebody's preaching to you that you've been on the throne of your life long enough and that you need to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That doesn't mean some mental assent and some verbal statement. What that means is, is my will is about to die. I'm not going to run my life the way I want to run it. I'm going to put him on the throne of my life. He's going to be Lord of my life. I'm not going to live according to my will. I'm going to live according to God's will. And brother, when you're preaching the gospel, that's where people come to. There's a clash of the kingdoms. Watch it in a church service. The man of God's preaching. He starts preaching the gospel. People are sitting out there. They've been king all their lives. And now all of a sudden, another kingdom approaches. This is, uh, this is the 12 and the 70. Jesus said, you go preach. You tell them repent for the kingdom is at hand. Cast out devils, heal the sick, and raise the dead. There's the power of the kingdom. He said, this is what I want you to do. And when you get there, if there's a son of peace that abides there, my peace will remain. But if there's not a son of peace, he said, pronounce judgment on the city, pronounce judgment on the house, wipe the dust off and go on down the road. What Jesus was talking about is an invading army. He's talking about a kingdom that is advancing. He's talking about the kingdom of God that's in the earth and it's advancing. He said, you're going to be harbingers. You're going to be messengers. You're going to be heralds. I want you to go and preach to them that they need to repent because the kingdom is coming. And any time an invading general or kingdom or king was coming to a city, they would send messengers into the city asking them, do you want us to come in peace or do you want us to come in war and punish? And if they said, we want you to come in peace, then the king said, then my peace will be there. 
But if they said, nope, we don't want you coming to peace, we're going to resist you, he said, then I'm going to bring judgment on your city. And so when the church starts seeing what we're really supposed to be doing is advancing the kingdom. The kingdom. And the king says, I'm going to give you power. Boy, I didn't know I was going to get here. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you power. Cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. There's the power of the kingdom. There it is. Mm, There it is. For thine is the kingdom and the power. And they come back saying, man, devils are subject to us. (laughs) And the Bible says Jesus rejoiced in that hour. The Greek word there is agilia, which means to leap and to twirl about. So when they come back telling the victory report of the advancing kingdom, Jesus decided to dance a little bit. So for all you that think church ought to be dead, if the kingdom is advancing, somebody ought to rejoice. And in the parable of the prodigal, the elder brother, you let me tell you how he knew something was going on in his dad's house. The Bible said he, he heard music and dancing. So when there's restoration in the house, there ought to be a party and there ought to be a celebration. My son, which was dead, is alive again. I think church ought to be a party. I think it ought to be a dancing something, a rejoicing something. Okay, okay, okay. Now, now. So here, this, this, is, this is what he's talking about. Now, 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 now. Okay, here's, here's where I want to go. All right. Now. Uh, I'll save you five years of Bible college, right? <laughs> <laughs> they may need five years of Bible college when I get that. Amen. Uh, first Kings. If you put First Kings chapter 3 and verse 1 up there, I'll show this to you. Now. How do we get this alignment? Okay, just just hold that there. Jacob's ladder tells you something. The Bible says, you know, here's where I found this. I've been very fortunate and privileged to preach in churches. I mean, Bishop, they just explode with revival and great stuff happening. So I wanted to find out what's so special about these places. Is it geographical, spiritual? What is it? And so I I put in the word place. I said, I'm just going to study places in the Old Testament. And when I got to Genesis, what is it, 28? And it talks about Jacob. And he lighted upon a certain place. Now, anytime the Bible uses the word certain, it means we got something in mind. When Jesus said a certain man fell among thieves, he had something in mind. He's talking about Adam. He's got something in mind. Now, the deal is he lights upon a certain place. He took stones of that place. He slept. In the, I mean, four or five times it talks about place. Then he's asleep. He's got this pillow of stone. He goes to sleep. And then he has this dream. Anybody remember the dream? It's a Sunday school lesson. This ladder comes down from heaven. I always thought it was like a construction ladder. 
No, it's a staircase. Remember that old song, I'm climbing Jacob's ladder every day? Anybody remember that old song? We, we, should, we should have had one verse in it, and I'm still on the first rung. <laughs> now, when I talked to you a while ago about this glory, I think that is Jacob's ladder. It's We ascend into more glory. But the deal is, is he sees us and he sees angels ascending and descending. And when he wakes up the next day, he says, surely the presence of the Lord was in this but I knew it not. Now, wait a minute, Jacob. You don't know that you just had this dream? Sure he knows. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, is I didn't recognize that God dwelt in this geographical place. You first called it lust, but then it becomes Bethel. That place that he lighted upon was the first original altar of his grandpa at that time, Abram. This is the first altar that he built where God begins to establish with him his covenants. And so he, he just thought it was a story, just a cool story about his grandpa. My nomadic grandpa just wandered around kind of crazy, following this invisible God, just hearing his voice. And he's always building these altars. But when he comes to that place, where, watch this, where there is an altar, the earth what he didn't know is that altar put things in alignment. Because wherever God's altar is, you're going to find his throne. And wherever God's throne is, you're going to find an altar. Because the altar puts you in alignment. And when you get in alignment, Jacob said, this is none other but the house of God and the gate of heaven. This place is where whatever's coming from the throne, it's coming here and going into the world. That's why it is extremely important for churches to get themselves in alignment with God's throne. And you can't get there without an altar. Altars are not synonymous with just prayer. I said this the other night. You can pray but not have an altar. The altar is not a place of prayer. The altar is a place of death. And a lot of people pray but they don't have an altar. And when you pray without an altar, the scripture says you pray amiss. Because you're not praying, as Jesus said, I only say what my father tells me to say. I only do what my father tells me to do. So you're not praying out of his understanding. That's why Romans says, for likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. The spirit itself maketh intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the spirit. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You, you can't pray out of your own will and out of your own brain and pray the perfect will of God or you can't even pray in perfect faith or even pray in perfect righteousness. No, you can't. But brother, when you get an alignment and the great intercessor starts praying, whoo, the throne starts praying. Simon, Satan, desire to have you, he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. 
And here's what happens. When you start praying in the spirit, it's too much. You start praying in the spirit. Man, I, I don't. I, I got it. Okay. All right. I'm going to help some of you right here. I'm going to help you right here. Uh, how many paces did David go when he offered sacrifice fatly and awesome, and then he danced before the Lord with all his might? Anybody know how many paces he went? Somebody said it. Six paces. Why does it say six paces? And why does David take off his royal apparel and put on a linen ephod? And he goes six paces. He offers a sacrifice of fatland and oxen. And then he dances before the Lord with all of his might. Six more paces. Sacrifice of fatland and oxen. Dances before the Lord with all of his might. When he comes to the city of David. And they're bringing the ark in. The Levites sang to the gatekeepers. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up your everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. And the gatekeepers sang back to the Levites. Who is the king of glory? And the Levites sang back to the gatekeepers. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. And when David was bringing it back. He was not bringing it back as a king. He was bringing it back as a priest. He's got a linen ephod on. And we know that there's six places that the priests would visit. He started at the gate. Late altar. Laver. Shoe bread. Candlesticks. Altar of incense. He's at the altar of incense and guess what he's got in front of him? A veil. You know what the veil is? Flesh. So that means when you go six, it's the number of man. Six, six, six is not some, something they're going to stamp on your forehead. Six means that humanity has gone as far as it can go. They're going to create a system that's almost complete and perfect. But humanity cannot quite get there. And so you can only go as far as you can go in your flesh. And the devil says, as long as I keep you there, I'll wear you out. But if you ever take the seventh step, that means you go through the veil into the Holy of Holies. You enter a completely different realm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're in a completely different world. I, 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 man, there's just so much I want to. There used to be a replica of the. Everybody still good? Look, I, I mean, I only preach here once every 40 years, so I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it in while I'm here. Amen. There, there used to be a replica in uh, Eureka Springs, a replica of the Old Testament tabernacle. And so we had a tour bus, and it's just us Pentecostals, and we get there, and we're the only ones there. And so this former retired rabbi has given us the tour. And so we get into this thing, and it was so intriguing because, you know, we're going to impress this guy with our knowledge of the Scripture. So we stop about the labor of water. What does the labor represent? This was his answer. He said, I have to sign a deal that I won't discuss doctrine. So I'm sorry I can't discuss it with you. But then he said, but looking at you and seeing your women, not only do you know what it stands for, you know what name it was done in. Mm. I was like, oh, my God. So we get in there, and we're standing at this veil, and I'm going to impress this rabbi with my Pentecostal theology. And I said, is there any record of the priest going in 
to the Holy of Holies, unclean, dying, and they had to pull him out with the rope. Buddy, when I said that, he got upset. He said, that's Gentile mythology. I said, what? He said, show me the rope in the scripture. Well, it's got to be in the scripture. We've preached the rope for years. I've never read about it. But it's got to be in there. He said, it's not in there. Study it. It's not in there. You guys just made that up. I said, well, what happens if he got in there unclean? He got over to God's realm, the eternal realm, unclean. How did they get him out? He said, it was impossible for him to go in there unclean. I said, oh, come on now. He said, I want to ask you a question. He said, how did he get in there? I said, well, he just walked in. He said, show me an opening in the veil. I said, well, I've never read about that either. I mean, he said, why do you think when it was rent, they were surprised? Man, this guy's tearing up all kinds of Pentecostal sermons here right now. He said, how did, I, I, I said, I don't know. He said, this is what we teach. We teach that one minute he's standing on this side of the veil, the fleshly side of the veil, and then he's transported through the veil, that is to say, according to Hebrews, his flesh. And now he's standing over, he's come out of time, and he's come over into eternity, which is perfectly still. And that's why God told Moses, stand still. And Moses told the people, stand still. The next verse, why Christ thou for unto me, Moses? Tell the people to go forward. You want us to be still or go forward? What I meant by be still is come out of your world into mine. Because where the eternal realm is, there's no past and there's no future. Everything is a permanent now. It's still. And if you stay on the wrong side of the veil, then the flesh, the enemy's going to wear you out and wear you down. But he knows if you get on the other side of that veil of your flesh. Now, some of you are looking at me like I lost my ever-loving mind. Let me tell you where we did preach it. You ready for it? Growing up in the church, this was the fix-all. I'm having spiritual problems. Pray through. I'm having marital problems. Pray through. You know, them old timers were actually saying, if you ever get out of that flesh side of yours and you get over here into God's realm where the glory of God is made manifest and God can take you out of your todays and bring you over here into some of your tomorrows and you can see things that are not as though they already are. When you come back on the other side of the veil, you'll feel like going on. And the enemy, your flesh, doesn't want you getting there. That's why you got to start at the altar. And if you can get to the altar and then get to your flesh with blood in one hand and worship and a censer in the other, I'm telling you the next thing you know, you'll move completely out of your world. And the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, the scripture says, was his throne. And the only way you could get to his throne is by the altar because you had to have blood from the altar and you had to have worship to get through the flesh. I'm going to tell you one more thing and then I'm going to close here pretty quick. No, don't get your hopes up. 
<laughs> why, why? Why is all of that important? What? So about it. This flesh, this will of yours, is where the real battle is. It's where the real struggle is. The hardest prayer you will ever pray and mean it. See, I believe that Jesus didn't die on the cross. I believe Jesus died in the garden. When he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, teach whatever he teaches is right. But I don't think it was the cup of sin. I think it was a cup of suffering. Because Moses and Elijah had already told him what was going to happen. He knew what the prophets had said. And he's looking into that cup of suffering. And he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass. But here's where he dies. But nonetheless. See, you only learn obedience through the things that you suffer. As long as God's got you on a road with no suffering, you don't know obedience. But when God asks you to go down the path of suffering and your flesh says, I don't want to do it, this is where you learn true obedience. Every path is pleasant. Sure, I'm submitted. But when God says, I'm going to tell you where I learned this. I'll tell you where I learned it. I started having heart problems. And I've prayed for hundreds and thousands of people and seen miracles. And then here I am needing some help with my heart issues. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. I, I was anointed at people pray. And I just knew God's going to give me a testimony. God's going to heal me. Well, he didn't. Not the way I thought. Not divine healing. He used the surgeon. Cut me open. And I, I, it bothered me. Why didn't you heal me? Because this is where you learn obedience. And not every mountain in your life is for you to cast into the sea. You're going to climb this one. Mm. This battle between the will. Everybody still here? You good? All right. This battle. Never get to his throne except via the altar. Now, here's the story I want to end with. This is what last night, man, I mean, it just, in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, Psalm and infinity, this is really where things really started happening that shouldn't have been happening. In the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem, round about, verse 2, only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed to burn incense in high places. Now, I looked at that, and I won't even go into the whole definitions of it, but it just simply means a shrine where there's an altar. Now, he says that he, he, he did burn incense in high places. But now watch the next verse. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. Now, it starts by saying that he went to high places. He had altars. But Gibeon was where the great altar was. So I looked at that extensively last night. It deals with the, the size of it, the reputation of it. This was the great altar. 
So what he's saying is, is people in those days built lesser altars. They would just go out a little ways from where they lived. They'd build an altar. They would worship. They'd offer sacrifice. But they didn't want to make the journey to the great altar. They wanted to build their own altar. And they wanted to stay there. And Solomon had even done it. But then God says, no, you've, you've built me enough altars. I got one already built for you. And I want you to come to Gibeon and I want you to offer. Now, I've always said that, you know, blood was running through the streets. But one of the things I read last night that intrigued me was is, um, it could have been that he did offer a thousand burnt offerings that day, or it also could have been that he, it was a perpetual coming to that altar. And through time coming to that great altar, he had offered at least a thousand sacrifices. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. Now he does this, and then the Bible says that God appears to him in a dream. Now here's what God really started speaking to me last night. And see, here's, here's what today is about in this church. It's about, yes, we've all built altars. But today, God's going to call you to a great altar. Mm. Yes, we've had altars of convenience and lesser altars. But today, God's going to call us to a great altar. When he's there, the Bible says, and I looked at that and, and, and it dawned on me. When God said, okay, you've offered the sacrifice, you've come to the altar, what is it that you really want? And he basically said, I want you to help me for the sake of the people. And when God seen that coming from the heart of this leader, I'm not asking you for fame, it's in there. I'm not asking you for wealth. I'm not asking you for fortune. Recognition. I'm asking you for the sake of your people. Give me this wisdom. And when God seen that it was about the people and not about the king, God says, because you asked the right thing, I'm going to give you all the other. And then after the dream, Solomon returns to Jerusalem and he comes to the Ark of the Covenant. He goes from the altar to the throne. Mm. What this man of God is going to ask is not for his sake. I want you to understand that. It's not about him building a new building so people say, wow, what a great structure, what a great building. And that's, that's where I, to be honest with you, Bishop, I, I kind of went back and forth in my spirit. And, I, and this is what the Lord showed me last night. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He's not wanting to build this just for his reputation. He's wanting to do this for the sake of the people. He wants to build a great house is what Solomon's temple was called, a great house, not for him. You keep your money. You can be wealthy. You already got a great reputation. So why do you want to build? I, I need wisdom. I'm asking you to help me for the sake of the people. And then he comes to. Now listen, God gave him a blank check. Whew. 
Now, I told this Friday night, I'm going to tell you again. Tell it again. I uh, went through a period of time where I preached about giving so much. Sacrificial giving. I preached it all over the world. And uh, got a reputation. Somebody said one time, said, we know what your initials, MM, stand for. It's Money Morgan. I had one guy ask me, he said, how much have you made off of offerings? I said, what? Well, I heard they gave you a percentage of every offering that you took. I said, am I off on some island somewhere drinking virgin pina coladas? He said, no. I said, then that's a lie. I could, if, I could retire if I wanted to do that. I told him before service, and I, I sincerely mean this, and, and, and I really do. I preached about it, and then God started revealing to me. I preached about giving and sacrifice and the blessing of God because God called me to a, a little town in Oklahoma called Oak that was bound with uh, poverty. Poverty prevailed. And... Uh, I, uh, in 19, is this okay? In 1992, I was invited to come preach in Modesto, California for pastor there. And uh, so I was fighting my battles at home and things that God was giving me and I was preaching it there. So it was closely connected. And I mean, I, I preached about giving and sacrifice and I didn't quite understand it until... I said, okay, spirits control thinking. That's how they work. When you have an area that's bound by a particular spirit, it means it controls the way they think. So the only way that you defeat a spirit is you think opposite of it and you become opposite of it. So you can go spending your time praying and fasting until your belly button touches your backbone and binding and rebuking. But when your mind is renewed... And God says, I don't want you to be conformed to that. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You are battling a spirit of poverty. So I want you to preach giving and blessing. So I did. We fought devils like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. One of them is, now there's a reason why I'm going here right now. One of them we were down it just seemed like that people that I was connected to just about the time that God was ultimately going to bless them. I mean, one guy contracts that were worth millions of dollars. The most crazy things would happen and it all started unraveling. And I was like, what in the world? So I went down, took a group of young preachers down to the church. And I said, you guys want to be apostolic? Yeah. Okay. Then we're going to stay a little time in prayer. And so we started praying. We prayed way up into the morning. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of those guys goes into this, uh, like an Asian dialect. And, uh, and uh, I, I went over to him and I stopped him. I said, hey, hey, when you're praying in that tongue, what do you feel? He said, 
I, I don't know. It's almost like I'm warring against something. I said, okay. Now, before God, so when I raised up from talking to him and I turned, coming down the center aisle of our church was something that looked like Buddha. He walked down and he stood right there in front of the pulpit, right there. And then all of a sudden, one of the other young men broke out in what it sounded like in a Native American chant. So I went to him. What are you feeling? I, I feel like I'm warm. Before God, when I turned this time, I seen a medicine man coming down the aisle. And he'd come up and join arms with this Buddha-looking thing. And then while I'm standing there, I look up and there's two men coming down the center aisle. And they're holding hands. And they walk up and they linked up with those two. And I was like, what in the world? And the Lord impressed me with this. I'm showing you the three spirits that you are going to face over finances in the end time. Well, I preached that stuff and believed it. And then I got to think, I was preaching the West Virginia camp. And I, I was in that motel across the river over there somewhere in Ohio or somewhere. What a place. Amen. And uh, I was sitting over in an old broke down chair. And, and I said, God, I've lost my ever loving mind. I just need to get out of this fantasy world I live in. I've just dreamed all this stuff up, preaching all this stuff and all. And this, this, this financial stuff and all, this is crazy. I need, I need to completely get away from it. I, I just need to get practical and just live in reality. And the Lord said, so you think you made that up? I mean, it's like he stood right in front of me and said, you think you made that up? I'm not so sure right now, God. He said, before you ever knew you would go there, I already showed you the spirits you would fight. He said, the Native Americans, you here in Oklahoma, Buddha is Asia, and the two gay men is San Francisco. I showed you the spirits that would resist you. You didn't make it up. You didn't dream it up. See, I learned a long time ago when it comes to money, it's spiritual. There's only two masters in this world. It's God and mammon. It's God and money. The devil's not the master. It's God and money. That's how come you've got to make up your mind which one's going to be your master. And I will tell you right now that one of the, I think, three gods of America is money. Now, here's the deal. If we really want the throne of God and the glory of God to fill, then you know what that means? I mean, somebody's going to have to build an altar. And not just any altar. And not just give what's convenient. It's got to be a true sacrificial giving. Now, there's two couple things in the spirit. Number one is, you can't, Finances is the giant that stands over America. He's got one foot on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. By vision, what another person, they seen in the middle of the nation a sword come up and it cut that giant in half and he fell. Uh, David is fighting a giant and the end time church is fighting this giant. North America is fighting this giant. And uh, David goes out to fight a giant. And uh, the Bible says that, uh, you know, he took the stones, he hit him, knocked him down. And uh, most people would have stopped there. We knocked him down. It's great, knocked him down. But David learned a lesson. 
he learned a lesson with the lion and the bear. He knocked them down, and then the Bible says, and they stood up to slay him. But he slew them. So he knocked them down, but they got up. When they got up, they're not in the best of moods. And David learned the worst thing you can do is knock your enemy down and let him get up. When you knock him down, don't stop. Go get his sword and cut his head off. And David didn't stop there, you know that? David took that bloody, grisly head and ran all the way to what would be the city of David and hung it on the gate of that city and told those men, you see what I did to that? You see what God did to that? I'm going to do to that city right there. The worst thing a church can do is just get into giving, sacrificial giving, and give one or two times and knock something down. Because when that happens, you have engaged into the spirit realm. You've engaged these things. I'm afraid I'm losing you right now. You've engaged these things. You don't want just to engage it and just do something momentarily and then not intend to make it a lifestyle. Sacrificial giving is not something you just do once and then you walk away from it saying, I did my job. Sacrificial giving has to become a lifestyle in the apostolic church. Now, you want to be spirit-led. Everybody wants to be spirit-led. I want the spirit to talk to me and, and I want to tell me to go down to the hospital and go in room 607, pray for the person God's going to raise them up. Okay, let me, let me show you one area that we never ask God to be spirit-led in, and that's giving. We want him to lead us in every other area. I used to say this, and I teach it at home. I said, your finance is bread to the eater and seed to the sower. And when you give that to God, you do exactly what he says. You're spirit-led. And if the church would ever become spirit-led in its giving, you would never have to get up and present a need ever. Because before the need could ever be discussed, somebody in the congregation or somebody's in the congregation would have already been impressed by the Spirit that there's a need coming and I'm going to give it. Now, I'm done. This church is being called to the great altar. I know you come here today to give and that's not by discernment, that's by knowledge. I know you've come here today to give. But what I believe is going to happen is, is some of you are going to give at a lesser altar. Well, this is more convenient, and I think I can do this. But today, the Holy Ghost said, I want you to challenge that church, and I want you to bring them to a great altar. Because this is going to establish my glory filling that building. Mm. I'll tell you the story, and I'm done. I was preaching there in Modesto. I told this Friday night. I was preaching there in Modesto. And uh, I preached on a Sunday morning. I won't tell you how long I preached because you'd be mad. Because <laughs> I only preached about 20, 25 minutes that morning. And I preached the story about Solomon at the altar. I'll never forget the service. It marked me. Uh, I heard something thud behind me. I turned around where the keys was in the floor, sobbing and weeping. The people flooded to the front. Whew. Flooded to the front. And uh, travail and prayer. I left that service at four something. The motel that I was standing in was just a few blocks down from it, the double tree. I went back to the double tree. Church is going to start. I think it's six or seven. So, man, 
I, I got there, freshened up, got my Bible. God, what am I supposed to preach tonight? You're not going to preach tonight. I'm going to show you what a Book of Acts church looks like. What a service looked like in the Book of Acts. So I got back that night. A lot of those people had left, went home, and started bringing stuff. I promise you, the altars were stacked, this big altar area, stacked with stuff, stuff, golf clubs, even guns then, stuff, stuff. This is where the North American church is. It's hid among its stuff. We make stuff gods. And God says, I want that on my altar. Now you're sitting there saying, I don't think God would do that. Why do you think he did it to Abraham? Take your son, your only son. Put him on the altar. And when he put him on the altar and the lamp, the ram come in the thicket, God said, now I know that you love me. Let me tell you how intent he was on taking the life of that boy's sacrifice. God had to call his name two times. Abraham, Abraham. Because he was going to obey. One of the most popular things for people to do in that day was offer their children to Molech and the gods. And so God was putting him to a test. Do you love me like the heathens love their gods? They'll give to this. They'll support that. Do you love me that much? And when he said, here it is. He said, I know now. And established the covenant. And this is where, this is where God says, I want you to know me now as Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And God is calling this church to that altar. And he's wanting you to put things on that altar that you have emotional attachments to and means a lot to you. And God's going to speak to you and stagger some of you with what he's going to ask you to do. But when you put that on the altar, you are aligning this church at the altar to where the throne of God and the heavens now. And angels will start ascending and descending into this place. And the glory of God will fill it. I hit something in the spirit. I hit something in the spirit. I hit it. I hit it. God wants this church to be a gateway church in the house of God. God has great intent for this church. You haven't even begun to see. Now, I'm not saying that just to inspire you. I knew in prayer and I knew by the spirit that there's something great that God's going to do right here in this church, in this city. It's going to be a gateway church. It's going to be the house of God. There's going to be the glory of God that fills this place. Driving in today, we passed that Catholic church and they had the police out there and the guy that was driving me, he said, hey, listen. He said, you see that? I said, yeah. He said, that's going to be in front of our church before long. He said, the glory of God and God's going to fill it. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. I'm here to challenge you today. I watched the stuff. People kept bringing stuff in during the service. People were given businesses. I mean, they were, Brother Keys had given a, a retirement home that he had had in Branson. And it was just, it marked me. And then all of a sudden, spirit of giving, it's like it was over. And the most pure love of God came into that building it permeated the atmosphere and it was a love one toward another 
One of the men in the church told the old prayer of the church, said, you go every morning praying at five o'clock over to the church. Yes, I do. You drive that old car of yours and Modesto church is kind of in a rough area. Yeah. He said, I'm going to take you down this week. I'm going to buy you a car. I, I, I want you to be safe when you drive. And people were like, it was a book of Acts chapter 4 and 5. People were just giving. And the love of God was radiating through there. And I, I don't even want to mention this, but I feel to. Please don't be Ananias and Sapphira. Please don't lie to the Holy Ghost. And tell the Holy Ghost you're giving everything when you know you're not. It's the peril of pretending that it lived to an old age if they would have just said, we sold it here 60%, but they lied. They tried to step into the arena with people who were giving everything and pretended to be on the same level. And God said, I'm not going to let you destroy the purity of what I'm doing in this church. And I'm warning some of you, there's, that spirit's coming into this church, was going to mark this church. This church will be marked for the end time revival. Are you listening to me? I feel the prophetic on me right now. This church will be marked for the end time revival. This church will become an apostolic hub. This will be a place where certain things flow straight from the throne down through this church. And it flows into Detroit. It crosses over into Canada. It flows into the world. That's what God has. Oh, we already do that. Oh, I know you do it but this altar that he's calling you to it's going to amp it up and it's going to be even greater and then it happened miracles nobody prayed for them it's just like the heavens opened and all of a sudden it was coming from the throne angels of God began to ascend and descend into that service people stood up starting to be healed just all over the building miracles began to happen that is the scenario I'm not trying to replicate or duplicate something, but that's what I knew in the spirit. You're at the same place. You are exactly at the same place. And if this church will catch what I'm preaching about, I, I, we already have. I, I get it. But if you'll really catch where it's going, I promise you this. The same thing will happen. The love of God will fill this place like you have never felt before. Unity will prevail in this church. And the glory of God will begin to descend into this congregation. Somebody lift your hands and your voice and let's pray. I mean, lift your voice and pray. That's it, lift your voice. Oh, you, you, you're giving him a little something at an altar, but he's going to call you to a greater altar. Give him a sacrifice of praise right now. Open your spirit right now. God's calling this church to a great altar so he can build a great house. gentlemen here we are I told you at the beginning of this service this one sets a trajectory Bible said he'll do more than we ask or think but it's according to the power that works in us 
That tells me we have the ability to set the bar. He said, whatever you think, I'll exceed your thoughts. Whatever you talk about, whatever you do, I'll exceed your deeds. I think that's why he said, let the meditations of my heart and words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. We can either think low thoughts, do low deeds, or we can think high thoughts and we can do great things. The deal is whatever we think or whatever we do, he's going to eclipse that. He's going to, so we have the ability to set the bar here. <laughs> Greatest giving church I ever saw in my life was in Life Tabernacle in Houston, Texas. It's gone. They sold the building a couple months ago. It's gone, completely gone. And I laid on the floor up here. I said, God, would you allow us to do what that church used to do? Would you replace Life Tabernacle with First Church? Would you, would you please help us, God? You filled this thing out. I'll, I'll talk while you, but if you've got this thing filled out. Brother John, you need to say anything to it before we do this? If you don't have one of these cards, raise your hand. They'll give you one. If you've got it filled out, and just start bringing it up here while I talk. <clears throat> Be nice if you came as your, with your family. In Jesus' name. I, I've seen this happen one time in my life. What Brother Morgan was talking about. Renee and I were headed to Okinawa. I was praying in a church in Columbus, Indiana, Brother Mitchell's church. I was laying on the floor of his office before church started. And it was, I don't know, I just saw this lake. I, I'm not given to these kind of things, but this happened to me. I saw a lake and I saw mist like fog coming out of that lake. Oh, and out of that fog, I saw this thing, this I don't know what it was. I, I just, I saw this image, a warrior come out of that fog and just look at me. And next thing I knew, Brother Mitchell was knocking on the door, said, it's time for you to preach here. We need you to come. Three months later, Renee and I were in Okinawa. Missionary was there for two days. After two days, he threw me the keys to the car and he said, you'll figure it out. I had learned, I'd never driven on the other side of the road. Uh, <clears throat> I, we had to, it, Okinawa was about 60 miles long, about 10 miles wide. I said, well, let's go, baby. We, I got to learn sooner or later. <clears throat> so I got in that little car, kept thinking left, left, turn left, turn left, turn left, turn left. We're going down this little road towards a place called Naha, and I saw this glass shop on the side of a hill. We've always done this kind of stuff for Nana. It looked like it had antiques in it. So we pulled off the side of the road and we walked up the steps and I go into this very, very fine Japanese antique store. And I'm walking back through the racks and all of a sudden I get in the back of that store and there he is. There he is in the back of that store, that same thing that I saw coming out of that lake in 
Indiana. And I asked the man, I said, what, what is that? He said, that's the armor of the royal samurai warrior. And he said, I said, how old is that? He said, hundreds of years old. Elaborate leather, just epaulets and all kinds of body armor. Fierce helmet and sword. He walked away and the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, that's the spirit of this island. (laughs) And the next Sunday, Mina, who's here today, Mina Okudada, received the Holy Ghost. 90 pounds, tiny little Japanese girl. Speaking in tongues in this sing-songy, beautiful voice of the Spirit. After about 20 minutes, that thing changed. And that little old girl started walking around that church with this guttural in the Holy Ghost, swinging her arms. Three hours, she walked around in that room. And something changed. Renee and I, we still remember to this day. Mina couldn't speak in English or Japanese for three days. Holy Ghost was so strong on her. She was the very first native Okinawan to ever have been filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. The very first. The Lord, that verse came true to me. I'm going to have somebody from every tribe, every tongue, every kindred. Mina was the first of a great harvest. You should... You should see what they have in Okinawa now. <laughs> but after three days, I went to her and I said, Mina, something happened to you when you were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, she said, my hands were up, Pastor. And, and, and I, I was just so enjoying being filled with the Spirit. And she said, all of a sudden, God, as I lifted my, God put a sword in my hand. And she said, he came to me. The God of this island came to me. And she said, that's what I was doing. And then she said, I got him. I got him. I got him. We'll never, ever have to fight him again. I killed him, Pastor. And boy, did she ever. Because, see, Mina was always, she just was given Teacher of the Year Award for Troy. Mina. Love you and we're proud of you. But she was valedictorian. She, she, it's Okinawan Christian school. It's a Baptist school. Well, they have doctrine every day. Well, the doctrine teacher doesn't know Japanese. So he's going to use his best student to be his translator. So he's teaching every day. You have to accept the Lord as your personal savior. And she's going, you must repent. In Japanese, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and filled with the Holy Spirit, and speak with them. <laughs> All of a sudden, she started bringing her friends to school 10 of them, 20 of them, 30 of them. Over 50 students from that school came and got the Holy Ghost in that church. I was praying one night and all of a sudden we had, it was a wild church, you know, it was Air Force and Marines and, and then, man, we started getting Okinawans. And, and I looked up and the principal of the school and the physics teacher was in that service. 
And I wanted, I wanted one of them nice services, you know. I wanted one of them. Wow, wasn't that nice? My wife, my precious, demure, kicked her high heels off. And they're going through the air. And she had a hat on. And she's going, through that hat like a Frisbee. And man, them Air Force boys took off. And it was, it was like, oh, my God, have mercy. They're running out, principal and the teacher. I'm running to get a hold of them. And I go out to catch them in the parking lot. Didn't know what, how am I going to explain that? All of a sudden, they were both women. That principal turned around. I don't care what, I don't care how much you spend on mascara. You buy the most expensive mascara in Somerset you can afford. You mix it with tears and it's black. That old girl looked like Ozzy Osbourne, man. Like Alice Cooper. She looked like a raccoon. That black mascara was just drooling down her cheek. And she said, I came here to fight you. She said, because we're mad. We're Baptist. This church changed our school. And all these kids have been coming over here claiming this, speaking in tongues stuff. I came here to fight you. But she said, I have no idea what I just felt in there. But she said, preacher, I'll never fight you and I'll never fight this church. Because whatever you guys got in there, we don't have where I go to church. We don't have. And now, every one of these places, every one of them where Renee and I taught Bible studies, they have independent churches. Every one of them. Mina, how many churches do they have on Okinawa now? Do you know? Huh? Five, five or six. Their goal is a hundred. One of them meets in a school gymnasium. I wish you could see them kids worshiping and dancing and speaking with them. I saw what I've had that experience. I've had that encounter. We call this place First Church, not because we wanted to be ahead of the Baptists or the Catholics or anybody else. It was like. What did they do in that first church? What did they do in that original apostolic church? You heard it today. I have, I have given my life to being a good preacher. And I'm really good at it. People tell me all the time how good of a preacher I am. I don't want to just be a word preacher. I want to see the glory. Come with me. Come with me around this altar. In the bottom of my heart, I thank you. I thank you. My phone has been texting and dinging and ringing since 7 o'clock this morning. Australia is praying for us. Preachers around the country said, standing by your hair. All over Michigan, preachers have texted me today. We're believing for something amazing and miraculous to happen. And another one was so precious. Would you lead us first church? That's all they said. Lead us first church. Do something today in that place. That is an example for the rest to follow. I believe that's what's on that floor there right there. Let's offer thanks to him, shall we?
Lord Jesus, 27 years ago, you gave me a vision of a building on that. We didn't even own that group. We didn't even own the property. But you gave me that vision. It has teased me, tormented me, and driven me for almost three decades now. And I'm, I'm so grateful, God, that you just didn't tease me. But you've put flesh on the bones. And this thing now is becoming a reality. And I'm in no contest with anybody. I'm trying to show off here. I believe in God that this will be a flagship store. I believe this will be a place, God, that the miraculous, amen, giving, prayer, life-changing situations are going to happen. We're building this for people we don't have names for, people that we don't have phone numbers for, people that we haven't befriended yet on Facebook, but they're here, and you gave me that, showed me that. Put your hand on the shoulder. It's appropriate. Put your hand on the shoulder of someone by you right now. One more time. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I'm a very common person. I have no power of my own. Any power I have is leased or borrowed from you. But your word says freely we have received and freely we give away. So Father, if I've got my hand on somebody that's sick in their body, take healing and take wholeness, take virtue out of me and transpose it from my person to their person and heal their body right now. If I've got my hand on somebody whose family is under attack, I'm asking you, God, to take the sanctity and the safety and the Sabbath that lives in my house and I freely give it away to my brother and my sister right now. If I've got my hand on somebody, Lord, that's in the valley of decision, I'm asking you, God, I made my peace calling and election sure a long time ago. I'm asking you, God, to take that settledness, that confidence out of me, amen, and put it in their spirit right now. Settle the question. Stop the mouth, amen, of the lion. Shut it. Shut it right now, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If I've got my hand on somebody who's got a boy or a girl, they don't even know where they are right now. We're killing the fatted calf right now. We have fattened this day up, Lord, and we are going to bring this sacrifice because we believe. Our boy's coming back. Our girl's coming back. I believe in you, God, for hundreds of assemblies, churches, things that we're going to be able to burn and foster out of this place, Lord. Because if I hear this preacher right, this is not the last time we're going to sacrifice. This is the opening of a whole new lifestyle for some people right now. But oh God, you're going to allow millions and millions of dollars to flow through our hands. <laughs> oh Jesus.